0: America if my name is part your name so much so in fact that you could fit me inside you if I am Eric, a six-foot-tall, three-hundred-pound brown man, skin, Mississippi mud, voice, Italian-accented as any New York native, does my perfect blend of melting pot miscegenation not garner enough respect if you do not choke me to death in broad daylight, to not matador your manic nightmares of me out of plain view if I am shown? Sure? with wedding bells ringing in my very near future? Will it buy me enough time if you do not permanently alter my chances that are happily ever after if I am Michael? meaning messenger of God, and I'm born brown, but my message is muted by the bullets of a white cop before it ever gets to mature, does anyone hear the body drop, or does it just rot, like a postmodern dream deferred into a blur of concrete, and what else is new, if I am Oscar, worthy of a glimpse at the main stage of life, will it grant me a nomination of human, of son, of father, worthy of next breath and a second chance to kiss my wife and lay my daughter down to bed at night, without you puppeteering her nightmares for years to come, till you sleep well at night, knowing that my mother never will, do you rest peacefully, knowing that you denied me the chance to do anything but America. What dark phantoms creep in the underbelly of your dream, huh? What ocean of skeletons tap dance around your bed at night? What terror do you dress black bodies in that we all turn to bullseyes under your scope? How rigid must be my walk? How docile the smile and timid the eyes to not bore your bloodthirst and jostle your murderous knee-jerk. How articulate must be my speech? To match the diction of a genocidal derelict, what you gonna teach my kids, America? About grit, about pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you pulled your empire out of the ashes and dust the bloody black bodies for centuries? What you gonna teach me about nonviolence, about turning of the other cheek? Well with all that blood blasted to your hands and teeth, you owed yourself a national state of emergency a long time ago. But who is to save you?
1: Thank you everybody for tuning back in. This is Black Culture, Black Thought. And I am, well, first of all, I actually wanna apologize for having this episode come out about a week late. I had hurt myself last week, um, gave myself a black eye and then therefore a concussion and was just not up to recording. So please bear with me as I am late with this episode, but I am happy that I'm back with you guys. And I'm happy to welcome back activist, educator, poet, and writer of the Ellisonian basement, Michael Quest Moore also known as a scribe Called Quest. Welcome back.
2: Good to be back. Thank you for having me. Yes, Congrats I- on the podcast. I see you growing and blowing up. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy
3: to it.
1: Yes, I'm like trying to stick with it and hold myself accountable to it. I'm not perfect at it, but I am very happy to continue with it. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. But, Just, um, Thank you.
1: Thanks, thanks, thanks. So we actually opened up with a poem by you, America, what's in your name? And I wanted you to open up with that poem because I really want us to talk about the recent killings that have been happening in Texas, in people's homes. Um, on October 12th, a Tatiana Jefferson in Fort Worth, Texas was shot and killed by police officer Aaron Dean So basically, I just kind of want to go back and what happened and just kind of recount that night. So a neighbor called the police at around two o'clock in the morning and they called a non-emergency phone number for the police officers requesting assistance to check on Jefferson because her doors were open, I believe, was the whole reason why he called the police. And police responded to that call at like around 2.25 AM and upon arrival, they inspected the house from the outside using their flashlights um, at the time, Jefferson was in the house playing video games with her nephew, so she's, like, in the house with a minor, um, and they saw Jefferson. Jefferson did grab a gun because she heard people in her yard, and they heard people approaching the window, so she was trying to protect herself. And then the police officer, Aaron Dean, said, put your hands up, and then did not declare himself as a police officer, and then fired and shot and killed Jefferson. So... Dean has been arrested on murder charges. He was fired. Well, he was not fired. He resigned before he could be fired. And that's Mm -hmm. what the police chief is claiming that he was going to fire him that day, but he resigned before. And he has been arrested on murder charges. I do want to say that this killing comes off of the recent indictment of Amber Geiger, who were breaking into Botham John's house and killing him while he was eating ice cream. We covered that on an earlier episode and Also, this comes off about a week and a half, two weeks after uh, Joshua Brown was shot and killed in the parking lot of his building, 10 days after he testified against Geiger, and he was a key witness in that case. So the Dallas police claim that he was murdered during a drug deal gone bad, even though Brown has no prior charges. So clearly there is something going on in well, not even something new going on. This is not new. I think what's new about this is the how close it is. It's happening in people's houses. But that's not necessarily a new trend either. So first thing I really wanted us to get into is just kind of like our initial responses to this. For me personally, I'm just very tired. And there's an exhaustion that I'm feeling with this moment. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah
2: I hear that. Um, the word numb comes to mind and I like yeah. to think that doesn't necessarily apply to where I'm at. Um, but at the same time, it's like you've been forced to inter- internalize these, these things as facts of life, you know, mm-hmm. the fact of your black life that uh, it can be snuffed out at any given moment by any, uh, any, uh, agent of the state, um, directly with yeah. this type of violence or, and I don't want to get off uh, task here, but indirectly it's happening every day as well through environmental racism, through uh-huh. displacement and gentrification, through food deserts, through, um, you know, uh, housing crises and miseducation. It, you know, puts us in a position that necessitates that we get at how we live, as we say, uh-huh. we what we got to do. There's all these different facets yeah. of uh, white onslaught of the state against uh-huh. black bodies, and it's not limited to just the police killing us. Um, That's what I've always said since, you know, four, five years ago, first starting organizing is that um, it is the exclamation point on a long running death sentence against black bodies. And if you don't account for every facet of that sentence, every word, every letter in it, punctuation, all of that, and these are all metaphors, okay, for the way that the system operates against black bodies, then the exclamation point at the end of the sentence will serve to surprise you. If you've been watching all of the tonal inflections, if you've watching the things that have been said, listening to them closely, and I don't just mean now that it's obvious in all bold letters, you know, from, you know, Dof Cheeto in charge from the President Dump, but I would say everything that's been said and iterated since the Constitution and before uh-huh. already spelled out for us what our death sentence is here in this country and everything else that speaks to any facet of potential reforming of a death sentence is, is, is painfully irresponsible and unaccountable to the nature of what we're actually dealing with. You have to look at the 13th Amendment, you have yeah. to look at where the Constitution guarantees life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness to property owning men who mm-hmm. are all white, right? Because these things codify the uh, the way that life will be valued it puts it ultimately fascist state. And if that's who's valued and that the ownership of property is what's you know, put up above everything vis-a-vis our, our entire ideological system and framework, which is capitalism. Right, if that's what's put into place, everything else that happens makes sense. Yeah. And then you don't say the system's broken, you say the system's working. And then what's our work? It's to undo the system. is mm-hmm. to smash that system and to replace it with a system that works for the people. And so, um, you know, uh, these, these are the kind of uh, painful realizations that I hope we can glean from losing a black body a day for the last five years and however many years counting before that, because otherwise the, the, we are you know uh, deaths in vain and you, we do have the space to just become numb and not be able to do anything about our oppression.
1: Yeah, so. and I think paying special emphasis to like losing a black body a day, but like more than just one black body, given the other aspects of how black people are being killed by white sanctioned violence due to poor health care access, due to lack of food nutrients, of um, drug addiction, and all of that that was funneled into the black community, we are constantly being targeted, and we are constantly being killed in rates that are disproportionate to anybody else in the society. So I do think that's a very important point to pay close attention to, and it is written in our constitution, and one of my favorite quotes is from Audre Lorde, uh, we cannot use the oppressors. Now I'm forgetting how it goes. Say it for me, please. <laughs>
3: okay. I don't know if you
2: want me trying to say it. Uh, let me see if I get it right. We cannot uh, get free using the master's tools. I'm paraphrasing, but
1: yeah, the oppre- the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. And I think we, the Constitution, is the biggest tool for the master right now. It serves the master and we see it now with everything that's happening with this impeachment, how Donald Trump is like able to rewrite the Constitution and what it means and like what it's supposed to uphold. And that document was never meant to serve anybody else but white rich men. It was not meant to serve white women. It was not meant to serve black people. It was not meant to serve other cultures that have come to this country. And we're trying to expand it to serve other people. It is never going to. You need to dismantle that document and we need to rewrite that document and we need to create a new framework to, for this country so that way it encompasses everybody. And I think that's a big problem with what we're doing right now is that we keep expecting laws to uphold what's happening within what's like the violence that Black people are facing by police officers,
3: mm-hmm.
1: not knowing that those laws were never meant to serve. Those laws are meant to protect police officers. I think the only laws that have come out of the Black Lives Matter movement were to, like, further protect police officers' rights. Wow. That's a problem, you know? And I'm looking at the recent indictment of Amber Geiger, and it came out today that she's actually planning wow. to appeal those charges. Yep. We can't look at that as a win so far. Like, first off, we're, it's not even secure as if she is going to be in jail for very long. Um, but that indictment of her is just, it's not a win for the Black community. It's not changing... Anything in the fact that Joshua Brown was killed one week later, like you know, and killed under—I don't care what the police officers say—killed under very suspicious, gang. you know, circumstances.
2: Yeah. fascination yo, like this is how, this is how you you uh you, you knock off a, you know, um a rival gang member or something like that. And if anything, and 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 I'm only accentuating that to drive home the point that. The police did this, or so orchestrated home yeah. for this gangland assassination yeah uh, the context that they gave, of course, it makes sense that he gets you know um you know he gets uh shot in a violent way in front of you know his home or whatever, but um the context that they gave is so like out of pocket, like it would never even occur like this in a street context especially with him already having something to do with the with the uh, biggest case in the country at the time, already lets you know that they're affiliated. So then to do it in that way kind of smacks in the face to actually use a, a gangster type of uh, yeah. you
3: know,
2: um, aesthetic and technique to do it. But even f- furthermore, to shoot in the mouth, like that's mm. beyond symbolic. That's so like literally like right on the nose of what, what, what they were trying to drive home. That's something wow. that like and random guys who are stealing weed from you, who leave the weed behind, who are from yeah. next state, fuck out of here with all of that shit. Um, don't do, cause that's like some old next level venom type shit. Yeah. That's like, you know, um, snitches get stitches. You you ran your mouth type shit. Bang. Yeah. In no motherfucking way. So I don't even want to go down that um, hole, cause I think it's just way too apparent. And. Um, the deeper thing is how many people actually notice or getting outraged by it and yet we feel like our hands are tied. Yeah. I think um, just to use my own path as a teachable moment because mm-hmm. it's about me. Um, when we first started organizing here in New Orleans around removing white supremacist symbols that seems like a, you know um, well what's the connection here? Yeah. Why are, people dying the streets? Why are you talking about a statue? We were trying to use statues as a as a vector of the system, symbols that reflect systems. And if we could use that as a um, ideological entry point to deconstructing white supremacy, then we could use that to expand a conversation about why we're dying in the first mm-hmm. place. And you can indict and attack the entire fucking system. And if you do that, then the rest of it should fall like a house of cards. It's kind of ambitious, you know what I'm saying? we kind got to, you know, reach <laughs> those, all that. I know now that that's a lifelong thing. Yeah. But And if we did not have an impact, like, No, Um,
1: you guys had a great impact. And just to clarify, Quest is talking about his work with Take Them Down NOLA, which is an organization, a grassroots organization, collective, right? Not even an organization.
2: Coalition, yeah.
1: Coalition Uh, that is, that tasks themselves with removing Confederate symbols that are around New Orleans. And you guys had great success with removing the Robert E. Lee. Is that his name? Robert E. Lee?
2: that's his name
1: yeah uh, Robert e Lee's, um statue yeah. and yeah and did they replace that yet
2: um no and that's yeah. another um, big that's another thing yeah we're trying to um, make sure we stay at the forefront of because the reality is they don't have any desire or uh, perceived need on their part to replace it anytime soon. And mm-hmm. we don't want it to be done soon, necessarily. We want the political education to happen with it. What a lot of people yeah. love this uh, moment to be dissolved to is just like some cosmetic fix. Oh, that was kind of offensive. Let's take that down and put up a, a musician. Ooh, let's put up a black musician. Mm-hmm. No, motherfucker. You put up signals of uh, imperialist war, okay? War that dominated your um, little internal black nation colony. is yeah. we've been colonized here for you know um, 400 years this year. And um, that was what that represented. It was a symbol of war. Um, just to take it to the, you know the greatest revolutionary theory that the planet has seen when, when, say the uh, all right I'm gonna go, go here with it. Uh, say when the, the Bolsheviks overthrew the Tsar in, in Russia, right? They didn't say, okay, we can just like have peace and flowers now. They knew that no these people have been dominating and controlling us for a long time. We're going to have to actually fight to sustain what we've created here. When Cuba overthrew, Mm -hmm. um, you know, American imperialism on their island, they didn't get to chill after that. The CIA attacked them for 10 years um, and still attacks them. But consistently, biochemical warfare, straight up bombs, all of this kind of shit, uh, because somebody who initiated an imperial program project globally, somebody who came to your country to steal you, to do free labor for them, is not somebody that you can ever trust to just be comfortable with letting you be. All right. There's never mm-hmm. a time you get to just go silo yourself off in the woods, Philadelphia move movement, and not get bombed out by the state. But you yeah. get to talk about overthrowing capitalism and, and and not get murdered by the police in your city, Fred Hampton. Like the feds will work with the municipality yeah. to make these things happen. And this should be the common uh discourse at this point it should be nothing less than an a- absolute surgical analysis of capitalist imperialism, which capitalism is in its late stages at this point, which is imperialism. And mm-hmm. it is their job to create markets. And they will create those markets out of the air if they have to, literally. I'm talking about barcodes on water in Ecuador and some shit. You know what I'm saying? Like corporations do this kind of thing. Sell you back the puddle, sell you back the rainwater in your in your community. And be damned if they don't put up guerrilla troops to try to murder you.
1: Yeah. I'm Yo, dis- telling you, that shit is happening water. now.
2: Yeah. That shit is happening now. That's why Chile yep. is going, That's why we have fifteen or so countries around the the planet going, you know, crazy right now because capitalism has reached into their pockets in a way that they can't even live, can't walk, talk, can't breathe without somebody monetizing their movement. And so, um, how do you secure what's being monetized? You police it, and that's mm-hmm. what's been happening to us since we were the human resources running off the plantation. That's been going on for so long that I think it will behoove. Black folks, since we focusing on, you know, Black thought, yeah. to, to um make that uh, ubiquitous and pervasive part of our conversation and our thought and to deepen our analysis and our understanding of what's actually happening to us and understand that, you know, they're not going to fucking let up until we push them off of us and make them let up. And the reality is the system that capitalism um, is, is designed to self-destruct because you can't expand that many markets without connecting all of the people of the world. They inevitably, inadvertently did that. They've mm-hmm. run out of space. they run oh. out of space to run. And so what do they do? They start putting in all of these different measures and shit so that they can hoard more resources, hoard more money because they're running out of space. And that, is, that should be perceived as a prime opportunity for us. Um, to collectively come together across all lines within the Black community, God forbid, because eventually this is bigger than race. And it's yeah. going, I mean, the reality is, you know, um, they murder indigenous people like this in, in South America, uh, right here in North America. Uh, black people, God forbid, down there get it probably the worst on the planet. Mm-hmm. One a day, they probably get, I think I saw the numbers were like five to eight a day you know, in places like Brazil, in terms wow. of like, the, the ways that the state will uh, murder, you know, uh, Black uh, people down there, um, with impunity. And I've been in Brazil and I've seen just like the way that a, a civilian officer will address um,
1: even a light-complected person. Yeah. And so... Um, And also a lot of black activists down in Brazil have been murdered, too. So Franco and yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: these things are normalized and they'll do it in broad day. So the fact that they're they're acting in this way, um, even if I removed it from like a political context and got all like allegorical with it, like if this was an animal behaving this way and it is the beast, then I could only assume that that animal was scared on some level. Uh-huh. I have sympathy for that motherfucker because he's a rabid dog at this point and he might kill me. I gotta put him down.
3: Uh-huh.
2: He knows how uh, how sick he is and he's doing everything he can to defend he's got. That's what the Trump the presidency is. That's what, you know, Dov Cheeto is. That's what we we're yeah. witnessing in the White House. But before he even gets there, what we were witnessing by way of these policemen who are uh, uh, very clear, even middle class, you know. Yeah. Um, in America, is that all those capitalist dynamics that we're looking at are destabilizing their financial um, comforts and their financial stability, and it's fucking with their white privilege, which they're so spoiled to have. And when they look up and they got to go apply and work at Target at fifty, when they watching all that, uh the rich rule classes, class is the ones who's emptying their coffers and fucking up their retirement. But then they are programmed by those same people to turn to the left and the right and look at us like black and brown people doing it, like we taking you jobs. Now they outsource those jobs to other countries and militarized the zones to the point where the people had to migrate to get to another place, a better opportunity. And now you pointing fingers in the wrong direction, but they ready to kill behind that. And, um, it's all bad information, real bad information that they got. And they got them like, you know, which way did he go looking in different yeah. directions? And they've been programmed historically to look at us. So the cops that kill us is though, even though they are, you know, instruments of the state and they look like they have all of this, uh, Privilege, which they do, and they look like they have all of this authority, which they do. Mm-hmm. They're also scared yeah. by people who would have been, you know, working class folks without that privilege. And when they have that badge in their hand, they become the gang that they were programmed to be. And they turn around and they defend state interests, but they think they're defending themselves. We we don't we don't get freer than our awareness of our sickness is. We don't get more healed than our diagnosis is, you know precise and accurate and erudite. And so um I don't know if there's <laughs> a question being answered here, but I'm always called offered that we should uh be in constant, nonstop, vigilant study of yeah. this situation. And once you study, find other people you study with and then find something you can do. Uh-huh. There are things we can do. You know, we don't necessarily um you know uh a great a great revolutionary once said um, that if all the workers of the world united, we wouldn't even need violence because it would bring the ruling class to their knees. Where are you going to go? You're going to outsource this to Mexico? Mexico yeah. said, I need the same thing you was paying the people up in uh, Detroit.
3: Yeah. You're
2: going to take this to Chile? You're going to go to Hong Kong? Where are you going to go? Because we all going to demand the same exact um, rights until eventually, you know, this whole thing inverse and collapses and ain't no bosses and yeah. ain't nobody telling us what. Well, there ain't no billionaires. Ain't nobody... Because that's what it comes down to. Police are only there to protect moneyed interests. Yeah. look like it on the surface, but ultimately they are in black and brown communities for a reason. Mm-hmm. We are not supposed to break that barrier. We're not supposed to get out of our impoverished situations en masse. They create all of the situations that we end up in, cycles of poverty and criminality, according to them, according to what they say is illegal, and then They put the police on us to keep us, uh, you know, um, incarcerated for that, which they get more money for once we go into the prison industrial complex. It's a perfect, uh, perfect uh, scenario for Mm -hmm. the class.
1: Yeah, and then in order to uphold that system, because, so like, I think policing means different things to different people. You have it on that whole government level of making money then you have it on another level with the police officers, it's policing is, means I need to make sure that I get home safely, like mm-hmm. instead of like protecting the people and making sure that they get home safely. And that's not my idea. That's actually an idea that I watched in an episode of The Young Turks. And it was said by somebody in the course, I don't remember her name, but I will post the link in the um episode description and she was just like police officer they keep saying like my job is to make sure i get home safe and it's like no your job is to make sure that the people get home safe you chose to actually take a very unsafe job like you know um and then the people obviously is like policing needs to depending on the race i think and depending on who the victim is and the race of that victim for some people it's like policing is exactly what the police officers say they need to make sure they get home safe they have a family for me yeah policing is, I need you to make sure that I'm safe, and I need you to make sure that I feel safe enough to call you when I'm not safe, you know? And if you can't do that, then you have no business being a police officer, period. Yeah,
2: yeah. And what's so wild about that is, like, even for the people who perceive the police as their protectors, and, you know, they see that that way, that is also such a reflection of the ways that Uh, capitalism and white supremacy are baked in, ideologically baked into every ritual that we practice in America. Mm -hmm. And so since we have more years of racist, white supremacist oppression, well, I mean, it's still operative. What I really was getting at was, um, you know, by the time America was established, we already had 146 years of slavery. Right. So that was already in our DNA. Yeah. And uh, for that matter, we had already had a good 80 some odd years of capitalism as a new global um, system. And so those things really informed the great founding fathers in their lawmaking. So like you were saying, get rid of the Constitution. Hell yeah. And get rid of the ideologies and the practices that led to the Constitution. Yeah. Capitalism, ensla- human enslavement, all of these things. Um, because what we find about the law Word to the Supreme Court itself, it don't mean shit. No. It's really a reflection of power. What the fuck is a law? A law is something that some motherfucker wrote down because it looked like it needed to be said at that time. Our, our uh, perceptions of, um, of right and wrong, morality, that whole so-called moral compass, are subjective. Right? Um, at a point, and I can't cite the case, but the Supreme Court is voting against a certain law that later on, 30 years later, they'll vote in favor of because it's standard now. Why is it standard? Because the people rose up. And the mm-hmm. people rose up in such collective number that now, I don't know, um, segregation isn't some shit that we can sanction anymore. Yeah. At one point, uh, that was just, you know, at one point, three-fifths humanity was, uh, you know, sanctioned for, for black folks. And we can see how, you know, Dred Scott, I can't remember the year, 1840-something, that's already 200-some-odd years of American history informing that decision. And so we've got more time that informs that way of thinking than we have that doesn't. And even the time that followed it is not time where we collectively as a society change the ways in which we create economy, uh, uh, resources, culture, change those in ways that would change the kind of lawmaking that we would uh, do, right? And so even after uh, Dred Scott, you have another 120 years of Black people still not actually being legal on the books if this is a democracy. We didn't get those rights for another century and two decades. So the point being... Um, fuck a law and fuck the apparatus that makes the law. What really it comes down to is like, what are we making? What are we creating that feeds people, right? And are we doing that in a way that actually feeds all of the people? Because if the root of it for us in this country was I'm going to eat and you get chitlins and pig slops, I'm going to eat good. You're going to serve me that. And you're going to get all the leftovers of the animal. And after that, I'm going to beat your ass if I don't like how you did it. Yeah. That is the DNA of everything. And until the country, like, really reckons with that, um, which is going to take nonstop, vigilant, you know, vigilant focus being placed on this, then, you know, you're going to have silly ass, you know, um, uh, conclusions drawn from this whole thing you look at a thing on the surface and say oh they're there to protect and serve me that's what it says on the card and if you have whiteness then you have a history of privilege that actually put them in position to do that because yeah. the state sent you to do that and if the whiteness was the majority for a lot of this time you got one out of two citizens in this country that are fucking dumb as fuck like 50 percent who just really have no idea where their fucking um meals are coming from Mm-hmm. Where, their, where their privilege is coming from, where their riches are coming from, and God forbid they look at it, and one of the most genius diabolical mechanisms of capitalism, once it's internalized by the oppressed, we might not be rich, ruling class, but they teach you to think like, they teach you to think that poor people are poor because of their yeah. own lack of, yeah. uh, their lack of meritocracy, what have you, when, you know, you could work the same, a job for 50 years, whatever this meme was that recently came out, you'll never be a billionaire off of labor. You Mm -hmm. get that off of exploitation of other people's labor. And yet we are trained to look down upon people who are not um, of certain means and look up to these people who are absolutely criminal and villainous. But it's baked into the ideology because the very first thing we said was you have the right to give somebody pennies on a dollar that they just made for Mm -hmm. you. So, um, yeah, until that that thing gets stripped away, like, I think the best thing capitalism does for white supremacy is it solidifies it, it reifies it, it it concretizes it so that the middle-class white demographic, which makes up a good portion of this country, is always going to misconstrue things that are bad for black and brown people as just being normal and even being good for them. Things like the police, things like... um, Uh, all different facets of of business and capitalism.
1: Yeah, no. And I even think about, like, how we internalize it and how that makes sense of both of John's brother apologizing. Like, you know, like, Black people have to learn how to apologize, how to forgive as a means of survival in some ways. You know, like, we didn't have the benefit of remaining angry. So now it's like, yeah. Like at this point, like we're so upset because it's like we should have to fucking apologize for our family members, or not apologize, forgive our family members for being murdered. Right. You know?
2: But well, forgive their murderers, like the fuck out of yeah, here. Like,
1: like, what is that shit? Like, literally, what is that shit? And like how that has been ingrained in us through and like I feel it, like you know, like there's times where I'm like, I will sit there and I'll be like, Oh well Chelsea, why are you starting to feel sympathy? For somebody who is upholding racist ideology, white supremacy.
2: Yeah, ain't that the worst moment ever? It's like that shit is like when you know the colonizer sitting on your yeah. shoulder. Like, it's like right there. You're just like, yeah. what the fuck? Yo, and then you and then to get to some of the things we were talking about, um, you know, offline, just about um the whole self care component of this. Yeah. It's like, how do you maintain the righteous indignation necessary to preserve your humanity while simultaneously destroying yourself? And you. Know, mm-hmm. Because at a point you realize, yo, part of colonization and the deep internalization of it is they have stolen my emotional intelligence from me. Yeah. Like there's a part of me that just like because um, you know full well, anger is a righteous and very um, righteous indignation is yeah. a very uh, instinctive emotion to go to. However, <laughs> if a motherfucker got a 12 gauge at your face and you got to choose between life and death, you, you really know, choose based on fight. your anger is your the fulcrum oh, shit, you might flatten out real quick. Yeah. Hey like, okay, shit, I, I'll go ahead on and let you win this one. And, mm-hmm. and we've been negotiating that small um, um, small uh, cross space for four centuries of like, oh, shit, I'm mad. Mm. Maybe yeah. later. And so there's measures of that that happens really deep psychological moments where, like, at first I ain't gonna lie. Ooh, damn, i about to say this out loud. When I heard the 10 years, I was almost weighing, like, how just was that? Yeah. yeah at least she got something
1: same it took, and it took I wasn't it was i wasn't like it took other people pointing it out yeah that was a short sentence for me to be like oh <laughs> like because i was like well yeah. she got something 10 years wow like yeah. you know
2: and that's where they can drive us to because guess yeah. what they can keep ramping it up and they'll they, look remember if this is about the the rich woman class they don't mind sacrificing a few you know little white people here mm-hmm. in and there besides the fact she's not a real sacrifice at the end of the day she's actually about to move up into the rich woman class because she get out this motherfucker, she gonna have all kind of book deals she's yeah gonna make it off of this black boy she murdered and
1: i um, mean i think about like george zimmerman, zimmerman and how much money he made off well, of that you know
3: quite, uh, uh,
2: she got over a hundred thousand or something to go from me i'm sure yeah. uh, i mean we were able thank god and let's lift up the names of uh bunny and, yeah um, or um brown who lost his life behind the shit. We can't do nothing for him. No, I did donate to his baby mom's you know, GoFundMe. Um, Bunny doubled the number she was looking for. Good. And, you know, she played the game so strong and so well because she said, I'm not talking to white media because I know mm-hmm. what y'all would do." And she was so uh, precise and wise enough to know that, you know, I could speak right now, but the state is yeah. going to use my words to feed their agenda. And so what I'm going to do is only talk to my black folk in my community so we know what's going on. And that went viral nonetheless and got to support it, which is a huge lesson for us because I think as organizers, we need to always be looking for ways to lift up, build up our own, our own, uh, everybody next to you.
3: who, who yeah. is range. You
2: know what I'm saying? Like don't worry about these big wig motherfuckers out here, you know, career is off of black death even, you know what I'm saying? Like the mm-hmm. biggest activist names you could think who are here getting huge grants and shit to talk about what's going to keep happening to us. Cause it's the rich people doing it. And they paying you to talk about it. How about you go lift up folks right next to you and when that happens collectively, that's some shit they can't stop. That's some shit they can't. But um, yeah, all that to say though, going back to the whole um policing of your emotional intelligence, that's another level in a place where the police exists. The state exists in your brain when you're considering how mad should I even get about this because I know it's about to happen later and that one's probably gonna be worse with less um less uh uh recompense for it you know what i'm saying and here it is that's exactly what happened yeah we get 10, 10. we're gonna murder this other black boy and who you gonna call you already got yeah. some black faces lined up
1: so i do want to also ask you how did you get started as an organizer because i would love to have this conversation inspire other people to well, begin to organize too
0: yeah um
2: so it's interesting um, we're working on a second "Take 'Em Down" no lazine right now. My co is plug, and one of the columns that we put in there, um, I try to bring a little hip hop in there. My name is Quest. Scribe called Quest. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So uh, it's called "How I Got Over," um, after the Root song. And so it's like, um, basically, it's like how I got over white supremacy, how I got over internalized racism, mm-hmm. mostly the issues there. But there's also I include patriarchy, heteropatriarchy, and capitalism is like the sandwich uh, bread to that sandwich, you know, to the racism sandwich, Um, because, uh, you know, they're all interconnected. And that column is dedicated to organizers telling their stories. And I'm always trying to um, encourage my, my comrades. They're like, yo, they could Google us. They could Wikipedia certain shit. We could talk about activists that they could Wikipedia. But for them to know your story, like what you went through yeah. is everything It's clutch because some of the stuff I hear just like blows my mind when I realize what some of, you know, people that I've walked next to have been through, you feel me? Like that, that, that stuff, we don't even necessarily want to share with each other all the time. And, um, you know, because I'm an artist, I'm a writer, I kind of go there and I will do that independent of my organizing mm-hmm. to go to the deepest places of it. But I think, um, just growing up in Brooklyn, you know what I'm saying. Shout out to, to our South Oxford Street. Yes, we grew um, up on
1: the same street, but ten years apart. But hey,
2: you know what I'm saying. Um, growing up in that era and like Spike Lee being a neighbor, and you know mm-hmm. it was the Black Consciousness era. I was very spoiled by like a, a certain um, just inundation of cultural, you know, pride and nationalism in ways that I didn't even process, or understand at the time. And I also didn't understand how fleeting it would be. I thought it was just the norm, but come like '93, things change. Um, you know, I moved from New York at the time, but then I watched this like nationally the culture of hip hop and everything It Went from like of Development one year, taking me to meet my ancestors, like next day, you know, Snoop Dogg is like, you know, the great and black woman, and going platinum on it. And it's like um, that was normal though. It's almost like it would have been nerd boy talk for me to even call that the great and black woman back then. It's like you know what I'm saying? You ain't like, the whole conversation has changed, and I'm very thankful for it. But that same year, I moved to New Orleans. New Orleans is the murder capital of the year, of mm-hmm. the world that year. 424 murders in, like, a city with less than half a million people um, per capita had the highest rate of murder. Next year it was 289. Those are just very deeply traumatizing uh, times. I lost my pops um, at the time to... Um, you know, I say capitalism killed them really. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, just him trying to fit inside of that system and self-medicate in ways that took him out real quick. And um, that was a deep, to process. I, I went through stuff as a kid, a lot of anxiety, depression, um, getting incarcerated young. And as I got older, uh, revisiting um, uh, in deeper ways than I ever had Black nationalism and Pan-Africanism in very surface ways, even though it was deep to me. It was deep just because, you know, it was the Jay-Z and Bling Bling era in here. Yeah. I'm listening to Talib and most instead, and I'm telling you my fucking life story here. But <laughs> um, I'm trying to put it all in context. That was like home for me. And most of them felt like Tribe felt for me as a kid, which my dad gave me. Ooh. But really the last poets was like my first spoken word poetry teacher, poetry teacher period. So I only knew poetry in a black nationalist context. Yeah. I only knew it um, in a you know fight for the liberation of the people's type context. And so then when I hear it through raps, and at the time I'm listening to Tribe when I'm a kid, and Tribe is sampling, you know, the last poets, and I didn't mm-hmm. even know that it was the same guy. Uh, Umar Hassan's daughter was a classmate, boom, boom, boom. All of that um, meant that like I had a context for it when it came back, when it was common and so queries and all of that. But to even have that access point and then to read even a few books, oh, you thought she was just a wokest, right? Like, you read <laughs> papers, and all this black psychology stuff that, you know, uh, the kids are calling hotep nowadays, but, you know, the, the the jury's still out as far as I'm concerned. I found a lot of um a lot of merit in Pan African and spiritual uh thought and you know what the she got the Diops of the world did for me and I've I've advanced Serdemus and rappers were putting me onto this stuff. You know, Nas drops these names in rhymes, Black Thought drops them. So the music meant a lot. You had art and culture that reflected, you know, our material needs as a people. And as it changed and got more capitalized, I couldn't verse that back then, but I did have like a poem. Hip hop is being fashioned by fascists who have no business, uh making a day business and pull out or put cash into the money market message has become hip hop is a thrift shop, it's, uh delivering discounted doctrine to dispensable DJs and MCs. Ah, selling souls, buying lives for pennies. I wrote that when I was like in college, right? And um again thought I was so woke, but Dickable Planets was giving me the verbiage, you know, these are the guys we be read Marx Marks where I'm from. I know the was, I know what communist social was but all of these things reverb and loop back a decade later when I look in um, to the the people I've been around and exposed to, who are now my comrades, my teachers, what have you, like um, my community. Um, they're the reason why when the Black Lives Matter movement showed up, I was like, oh, oh, yo, yo, come yeah. on, you gonna at least do this much because I grew up in the era of Al Sharpton, you know, marching for Tawana Brawley, and you know. Um, you know, all of that stuff. I grew up in the um, Yusuf Hawkins era, you know, getting murdered in, in Vincent Hurst by the white boys. And, and there was a lot of racial tension. We were kids too. Spike talked about it and do the right thing, all of that. But um, now that I see it coming back, it's like, oh no, we're not going to do this again. I saw Rodney King happen, you know, on TV when I'm like yeah. 12 and my pop's trying to explain it to me. Like, um, it's like, all right, we're going to do this again. Let's expand the conversation. And I was lucky enough that, you know, through my arts, you know, as a spoken word artist, I had been introduced to a lot of great uh, revolutionary scholars and elders in the community Two of whom I always say their names, say their names. You come to New Orleans, come meet these guys, Malcolm Suber and Leon Waters, Um, great revolutionary activists, old school black communists um, who, you know, unabashedly, unapologetically waved that flag for our liberation. And when they introduced the whole analysis of uh, the city by way of the monuments to me, it was like. 2011. It was like three or four years before everything hit the fan. But at that moment I was already like up in, you know I was inflamed by it. I was excited and outraged at the same time because I was like yo, this city is literally um, gridded in white supremacist statuary, symbolism, streets schools everywhere and that was a light bulb moment for me because I could now understand why we had the murder rate we do. Mm -hmm. We had the number one incarceration rate in the world's history like we do. Our biggest prison is Angola, named after the plantation yeah. that it once was. It literally trans uh, uh, transferred from, you know, marketing black bodies to marketing black bodies. Named
1: after the plantation that it was, but also named after the country where those slaves came from, so.
2: Exactly, yeah. thank you for that. I always leave that part out, and I forget yeah. about that. Um, who fought for their liberation yep. and got it, you heard me, as we still fight to get it here. And um, so, all that said, like, um, When, you know, it became a Trayvon Martin and then a Mike Brown moment, it just got to the point, like, y'all can't, like, curse out CNN no more. I can't sit here and scream at these fucking empty-headed pundits. I need to go to the street where my people at. And we held a vigil for um, Mike Brown. And that translated into ultimately, um, you know, a big march we did for him. And we did that march. I was like, yo, we need to go to this monument, this Robert E. Lee joint, and expand this conversation. If they're going to keep killing us, we gotta indict the whole system. And so um, we used that as a moment and that was us stepping up, stepping out and expanding the conversation. And um, it, it, it uh, pretty much kicked off. I put out a petition that day to take the Robin Lee Miami down and that led to ultimately taking down NOLA, the coalition being born six months later. Um, we organized for five months before we got the city to agree to take down the monuments. And then even that took another 17 months before they actually did anything because they um, everything got caught up in litigation and these mm-hmm. bullshit, you know, uh, lawsuits coming from the-, the yeah. defenders. And then, you know, all these lowbrow, um, you know, alt writers in like, uh, I forgot what they call them, but fuck them, I don't wanna say their names anyway. Um, you know, all of the white supremacist ground level organizations, like they had people coming to the city yeah. Standing in front of the monuments with, you know, grenades and guns and shit. Like, they was going to defend their ancestors. And so eventually, um, you know, the city finally acted. Because we pushed them to act. We kept doing okay. actions. We, you know, threatened to take down other monuments. And that um, kind of forced their hand. Um, they literally put out a document saying we needed to do something before the city burns. Oh, wow. Was, yeah, that was I something we had to go public. But, yeah, we we did discover that. So all I have to say... um. Um, that was how I got into it. That's how I got into organizing. And now it's expanded to so much deeper because that was a big hot button issue and a big topic that everybody was looking at. But what it um, forced me to do ultimately is I watched who showed up and who stuck around and it ended up being more people, more comrades, some older, some younger, but people who's about this life, Mm -hmm. about doing this work day in, day out. And, not all of them black, a lot of them ain't, just to be real, you know what I'm saying? Um, we're just like the Panthers, you know. Um, our, our work is ultimately come down to uh, changing the system in totality, so we build the kind of allyship and camaraderie that transcends um, race, gender, sexuality, all of that. It's really about the liberation of human beings who we identify as working class people but it's human beings, but not everybody qualified. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point that dollar take the soul out your chest and I don't know if the humanity exists no more. So we yeah. do say working class folk. That's who we organize with regularly.
1: I also like, so I wanted us to really have this conversation about organizing because some of the great changes and real changes that we've seen in like law included um, for black lives came out of grassroots organizing.
3: Yes.
1: Um, segregation of like the desegregation of public spaces of buses of voting right of getting voting rights all came out of thousands of people organizing themselves coming together and fighting and doing direct action around these things however i will be remiss if i do not say that while i want you guys to organize and while i want you guys to go out there and fight there's also a real life stake for that and a personal you put your life in personal harm for doing that. Yeah. The lives of like Malcolm X, of Martin Luther King Jr., Fred Hampton were lost because of this work. Um, Angela Davis was arrested. You Most recently you have six activists that died in Ferguson since the oh, Ferguson God. protest, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And like,
1: so I actually wrote the names out. So you yeah, and I might be mispronouncing some of these names, so. I will go back and re-edit them or put them okay. in correctly. Um, Basim Marseille, 31, him. he died of a drug overdose
3: oh.
1: on a bus, like, found from fentanyl. Darren oh. Seals, 29, and DeAndre Joshua, 20, both died in cars that were set on fire.
3: Yeah.
1: And Marshawn McCarroll, Dwayne, or Dane Jones, and Edward Crawford, um, so they died of apparent suicides that to me makes no sense six yeah. activists six people who are prominent figures in the ferguson protests dying under very suspicious non like it just it make it make sense um again i'll repeat this month joshua brown was killed shot in the mouth after testifying against amber geiger i want everybody to protest but, I need you to know that you are doing so. you could potentially be doing so at your own personal risk, you know um, it's work that can be life threatening, but it's still that work that needs to get done. So I do wanted to leave with that. <laughs> it's like on a little bit of a down note, but I do You're think
2: it on a happy note, why don't you?
1: huh? said so just end us on a happy note, why don't you? I know ended on a really happy note, but no, um. I do think it's important to talk about that. I also wanted to just kind of touch on it very briefly because this episode is, again, running long. Um, to touch on, you mentioned something about, like, all right, something with this whole thing with Tatiana Jefferson being killed that really stuck out to me was the neighbor who called the police and yeah. the grief that he's feeling right now. And saying, like, something he said it was, like, along the lines of, I called for help not knowing that... I like they wouldn't be like they would be like causing harm.
3: Yeah,
1: and I feel that grief and I feel that pain. And he keeps saying like everybody's saying that it's not your fault, but yet he feels like it's his fault. And for me, I think we're at this point now where calling the police needs to be like the last resort that you do, mm-hmm. and you need to exercise extreme care and be very intentional when you do call the police and then something you mentioned was calling the police on the police you know do you want to expand on that a little bit more
2: yeah so this is not my um strategy but um i met um really powerful sister in chicago recently i cannot remember her name i, I sounded a little like tatiana i think but she's um she she put a video on twitter last year that i actually uh stumbled across and went kind of mini viral and because she was real down and I could tell just by building with her and I liked uh what she did with this particular instance this is something that I can at least um not necessarily cosign on but I want to expose because I think I thought it was a a a pretty powerful idea she um she saw uh, a truck of uh sneakers come into the hood just like out the blue and just um it was wide open in the back and what it turned out to be was some Undo's undercover cops were, um, had planted it there as entrapment to see if they could, you know, um, lock up the black boys who presumably would come and try to take these sneakers. And so before that could even go down, she uh, recorded it. And then she called the cops on these cops to, uh, file the information. And basically, have it documented that this mm-hmm. bullshit had been down and it was happening. And so she doubly documented it. She got it viral on the internet because I found out about it way before I ever met her. And, um, you know, the whole point of that was such that if the cops do something foul, if they were in the process of trying to pull another Laquan McDonald, or Kia Boyd, whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. um, they have other cops that would have to be on record as, you know, because when the call comes in, they got a, they got a, um, you know document what the call was and they should call all of that so if that happens as you know the cops are, are doing their thing then they would have to work out a whole another level of conspiracy to cover up what they did and we know with Laquan McDonald for example they uh wiped the tapes out and hit them for like a year yeah. and so uh that's kind of like simple genius to me to be able to um put somebody in position is you know playing playing a little bit of chess against them where they playing against themselves so that's just um, one method, of strategy I never thought of. Um, I Had already been exposed to. Instead of that, like us mm-hmm. forming police watching crews, like the Panthers used to do back in the day, yeah. uh, I think there's something to be said for both. But these are kind of things that really should be systematized, as well as yeah. um, a militia. Like we need to have. What's it? I don't know. But we need to. White people do it all the damn time. Mm-hmm. And then they go kill people, <laughs> and yeah. nobody calls them terrorists for it. Uh, neighborhood watch groups. Neighborhood something watch like groups. Yeah, like yeah. God forbid, like. We've got, because of late-stage capitalism, all kind of foul shit happening now, was just like basic little petty crimes, but it's like a rampant epidemic in New Orleans with cars being broken into. My mm. um, homeboy who's, uh, I know a guy who got murdered behind that. In, wow. in his, um His cousin and best friend, I went to high school with both of them. I might have went to high school with him, I don't know. But uh, long story short, that's been happening. It's happening all in my house. Neighborhood that freaks me out, and it's in the same neighborhood not too far from where I taught at. Like these things happen because of late-stage capitalism. If we were in conversation and solidarity as a community, first of all, you could have with, with something really beautiful that happened in that same workshop. Is older brothers checking the younger brothers like, yo, nah, not that way. Go this way, you know what I'm saying? And these sometimes be cats who experienced they self, who've lived the life and been through the street thing and could just uh, advise them, don't steal from your own, don't like, you know, yeah. hustle that way. And we could have small reforms in our own communities in our own ways. Um, that's just a crime prevention thing. But God forbid we get to the level of like providing economic opportunities for young brothers and sisters,
3: mm-hmm.
2: like in non-conforming folk, especially who are especially priced out by capitalism, yeah. um, to have opportunities to work. Um, and I don't know how we do that. I don't. But it's just like things that I think um, even conversations like this are helpful in getting us yeah. about. I never thought I'd become an activist, much less an activist to become an organizer. And I never thought becoming an organizer meant putting in the work of creating a new world. Yeah. But I've heard the message a million times at this point and I realize it's literally the only work we have. Anything else is just dabbling. Anything else is just like an advertisement. And I think capitalism does this really profoundly perverse thing to us where a lot of our platform activists, our celebrity activists, are enacting... Um, capitalism more than they are actual activism like yeah because uh, you're advertising the movement but the actual movement is and must always be on the ground it must be yeah. the people who are most affected by this and so if your um positioning of self isn't actually reaching into a community i'm not mad if you can do both but if it's only doing one um and it's, it's only the aesthetic then it's not the practice. The most profound thing I've got from this is literally write down every relationship that we have as human beings is uh, an opportunity for us to right the wrongs.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, whether that's with your family or you know intimate uh, relationship or so-called love relationship, lover, friends, all that is ways for me to like not um, perpetuate. Not yeah. only not perpetuate those those things that I've internalized to find the inverse of that yeah you know? and that's, yeah, the place that's i'm still i'm still like struggling to get to it to me it's like more important than um you know uh the next big movement
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: and yet i can't disaggregate that from me staying in the struggle for the next big movement because those things are connected to like yeah. if workers are still hurting then you can bet somebody gonna be coming for your neck at some point because they got to because they got to eat So we we just got to keep our eye on both. And I think if everybody was engaged, it would be a lot less of a struggle for the few that are always engaged. But there has to be a critical mass um, overhaul to where we all realize this is life or death for all of us.
1: I do want to just like call on your, just highlight your call to action. I do agree that the more people who are engaging in this kind of work, the more of a positive outcome and the more energy that's put into, like you said, the inverse energy of those negative things, the more energy that's the opposite of that that's out there is better. You have to meet that negative energy with the exact amount of positive energy in order to correct a wrong. Um, So each week, something new I'm doing with the podcast quest is putting a reading list for each week. So this week, um, the reading list will be, um, including some of your books, I'm putting them in there. Yay! Yeah. (laughs) Um, So first I got Policing the Police, the Watch Movement, and that's actually like a short video on YouTube. I'm also putting in, I'm gonna say, The Black Panther's Vanguard of a Revolution, that's on Netflix. Sleeper Cell by A Scribe Called Quest.
3: Yay!
1: And what does home mean for black folks when white violence can so easily invade our dwellings? That's by Donnie Moreland, black youth project. And then also Quest, if that's, if it's cool with you, I would love to buy a copy of sleeper cell and of the take Them down zine and give it away to a reader.
2: You got it. Absolutely. Awesome.
1: awesome. All right. It. So thank you everybody for tuning in. I really appreciate it that you guys are still listening with me. Um, take care of yourselves in this moment and figure out ways that you can organize and take care of yourself at the same time. It's very important. Both are equally important. You can't organize and do action if you are not healthy yourself or if you are struggling within that. So you have to take care of yourself too. So thank you for tuning in. I'll be with you guys. Hopefully next week
3: I've been delayed on these recordings, so it is what it is, but I'll be with you guys later. Peace.